0: Welcome to the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. For those of you who don't know, GTFO means get the F out. In this podcast, we will be discussing how to get the F out. How to get the F out of a bad situation, predicament, or something you want to flat change. I'll be interviewing individuals who have had to GTFO. Expect to hear stories of those who experience situations of despair, pain, and fear. And the only way to escape it was to GTFO. Through this podcast, I want to give you, the listeners, the power and courage to make life changes should you need to GTFO. Today, I want to talk about the power of change. Changing or shifting your personal landscape can be uncomfortable. There are those of us who are resistant to change or something new. I'm one of those people. Uh, A lot of us are raised like this. Get married, stick with it. Get a job, stick with it. It's common messaging, right? We're not supposed to change. Everything is supposed to flow perfectly in life. But you know what? It doesn't allow for something better to come into your life. Sometimes GTFO has to happen to you to get the changes you need. Today, our guest, John Papagro, is going to tell us his GTFO stories and how they created change in his life personally and as a performer. Okay, typically when I do bios, they're short, but today I'll have more words. But trust me, it's worth hearing his accomplishments. So I'll start with this. John is a musician, but he's not just any musician. John Papagro is steeped in New Orleans music tradition. He is a piano powerhouse standing at the intersection of funk, R&B, soul, and Americana music. For over three decades, John has brought his city's celebratory culture to listeners around the globe. He mixes all the sounds of New Orleans funk, traditional jazz, brass band, blues, and makes it his own signature gumbo. He cut his teeth on Bourbon Street. He backed up some of the biggest names in the Crescent City, such as meters bassist George Porter Jr. and guitarist Nooks Eglin. Between 2000 and 2013, John began his transition into the spotlight by leading Papa Gro's Funk, a highly revered group that makes hard-hitting funk groups with often unpredictable jazz spontaneity. The band released six critically acclaimed studio albums while touring the U.S. This year, John Papa Gro has released Central City, his third solo album. The album is a collection of classic New Orleans songs, both new and old, filtered through his decades of dedication to his craft. John absorbed a lifetime of lessons and became part of the direct lineage of New Orleans music. And I'm going to share his quote. And I love this quote. So, John, I'm going to share it. I'm walking on the same path as Dr. John, Alan Toussaint, and Art Neville. I've been following them my whole life. Now they're no longer in front of me. They've gotten off the path, but the path is still very clear. Welcome, John. I'm so glad that you're here with me today.
1: Hey, Holly. How are you?
0: Good. I love that quote. I think it's beautiful. So I had to share it today.
1: I'm glad you did.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, I'm thrilled that you're here. And before we get into our content today, I want to talk about how we know each other.
1: It's strange talking to you in an official capacity today. I know. Because it's, it's, it's it's, it's, uh, we have a lifetime of unofficial capacities.
0: We do have a lifetime of unofficial capacities. Um, our parents are friends. And best,
1: best friends. So we've known each other friend. since kids, right?
0: Since ever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't always remember, been in my life. I don't remember not knowing, uh, Don and Mary and, or you or Donna or Ward or Andrew. I don't remember not knowing you guys. That's how far we go back. Yeah. I know. It's just kind of a thing. And I don't know if you remember this, like I was going back through my own memory files of our parents having jam sessions with, uh, Jimmy Fournette, um, in our homes, like mm-hmm. years ago, we were kids, and they would be jamming, and we'd be running around doing whatever kids do.
1: That was a long yeah, time. Not ago. paying attention to that. <laughs> if we were playing, they were doing. They were doing a whole other thing.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they were. There's no telling. Um, and something else I was remembering was that when you were getting started, when you were about 15 years old, my parents hired you to play at my Bob mitzvah party. Do you remember that? That was my first
1: paying gig. Actually, it was my first, I think, my first gig ever, I think. You were my first gig.
0: Oh, I'm so proud. I'm so proud. It's amazing. Yeah. And parachute pants were hot back then. So, you know, it was it's, 83. It was good stuff. It was good stuff.
1: Maybe if, if I can dig that photo up, maybe you can post that on the uh, your oh website. Oh, my god!
0: Okay, I'll look for it. <laughs> um, I think I'll try to look for that one. That would be entertaining. Yeah, that was cool. That was fun. So I wanted the listeners to know that... Um, That we share that in common. Our families have been friends for years, so we're we're very lucky to know each other.
1: Yeah, our moms were like sisters, and our our dads were like brothers. Really, very, very
0: true. Mm. Very, and they take good care of each other now. I mean, uh, your dad and my parents stick together a lot, so which is important. Um, All righty. Well, I have a line of questions for you to talk about your GTF moments and how they've shaped you. But before I do that. Give us some background on yourself. We'd love to hear more about you from you.
1: Uh, let's see. I'm uh, 53. <laughs> uh, I've been married twice. I have two incredible kids, uh, uh, both out of uh, college. Uh, my oldest is working or trying to find work now in this new COVID era. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my my youngest daughter, she is uh, working on a doctorate, not completely out of college, but she's at has her bachelor's, working on a doctorate in computer science. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing to me that after all that uh, I've been through and put them through, uh, I feel like uh, as a, as a dad, I'm very proud and know that they have all the tools they need to succeed in life. So the rest is up to them and uh, it's, it's a treat to watch them uh, go through it. That's for sure.
0: And they're adorable and they're yep. both so smart.
1: Yep. I live in new Orleans. Let's see. Uh, I was born in new Orleans, raised in Baton Rouge. And I uh, went to school at Loyola University, got a degree in French horn, mm-hmm. and have been playing rock and roll ever since.
0: <laughs> that's been your path, man, as long as I've known it.
1: Yep, that's, that's been, been it. it.
0: That's uh, it. It,
1: it. The rock and roll bug hit me when I was a kid. I think it was uh, I was maybe eight or nine. Um, I think my mom was out the house running errands or whatever she was doing on a Saturday. My dad was probably hungover, exhausted. <laughs> And had another gig uh, that, ne- that that night. And then the three kids, uh, my, uh, my older brother and my younger sister, were all one year apart. So all basically the same age. And we were just probably driving him crazy. He put the Beatles' Abbey Road record on, put on Octopus's Garden, thinking it would entertain us. I love that. And, uh, and then he left us alone with, with that side of the record. And we, we kept... Listen to *Octopus's Garden until we started discovering other songs. And then we put it at the beginning and there was Come Together. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then I fell in love with Maxwell's Silver Hammer. I thought it was the funniest song. Still one of the funniest songs I've ever heard in my it's life.
0: great song. It's a great song. Uh, and then I listened
1: to, we listened to that. I just remember dancing around and then getting to the end of that side, which is I, I Want You, She's So Heavy, uh, and going, whoa, what is this? And still, that record, Abbey Road, is the benchmark of what music is it means to me like how diverse and fun and entertaining and uh emotional and angry and happy like it just that one side of the record and then you flip the side over and it just gets even better so uh i could thank my dad probably in his days of despair <laughs> <laughs> trying to give the kids something to do uh with inter- introducing me to the beatles abbey road and really that gave me the music bug. Just that one record, and you know, here I am. I don't know, jeez, forty five years later, yeah. still having that same energy and passion towards music, and trying to um, add to, you know, add, add my stamp on it.
0: Well, I love that it's your foundation and that it's your inspiration. Does your dad know that story? Does he know that's what was your that was your uh, springboard?
1: I don't know if he, he's ever heard me say that. I've told just pretty much friends, you know, when we talk about music, how, how'd you get into it? And then, then on some interviews here and there, it, it kind of came out. Uh, I just always knew Maxwell Silverhammer was one of my first favorite songs ever. And that Abbey Road was, you know, that record has always been my favorite album. It's a great time. album.
0: Never get tired of it. Never get no. tired of it. Play it over and over again.
1: Absolutely. Uh, when the reissue came out last year, uh, I re-obsessed reass- about that record all over again, and just the same energy and the, the emotions that I get now, it, 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 it's never changed. and just keeps growing and growing and getting, have a deeper uh, relationship with that music.
0: Right, right. And in our conversation last week for prep for our talk today, you were telling me how it still has a thread in your life, even recently. Um, but I do want to get to that, because it's that's been like um, a source for you, a fulfillment, is what it sounds like.
1: Uh, music is, I mean, I learned it on gigs. Uh, I guess when I was in college, it was a band I was playing with Rockin' and Jerry and the Spice of Life band. Uh, we played everything from Elvis to Prince and everything Jeez. in between. Yeah, it was a spectrum. And it's not like anybody, including myself, none of us were great musicians. None of us were, you know, the best of the best. But Jerry had a magnetic connection with the people who showed up in this neighborhood lounge. He knew everybody's name. He knew what they liked. He knew their families. And I just kind of asked him one time, like, Jared, oh, how do you know? Why, why do you, you're interested in all these people coming in? It's the same people. the think it's, no, 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 dude. It's like, these people come to hear music to either escape their life because it's so bad or to celebrate it. And our job is, is to help them do that. And, for me, and then it, that just summed it all up what music is about for me. It's like, you know, when you, you grow up and you're a teenager and you have your teenage angst, and, and that's what rock and roll is all about, is just, you know, some kind of release to escape, you know, the parental controls and get on. you want to get on with your own life because you think you can handle it, you know. I'm 15, yep. I can do my own thing. You know, you find out later how wrong you were, but,
0: you know, just... <laughs> That's a whole other podcast right there. That's a whole other podcast. You know, no, whole other conversation.
1: But music is such a great uh, therapeutic um, medium, uh, and it's been the one for me that you know it just helps me get through life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Either it escape
1: is. it or celebrate it. Either way you want to look at it, but it's it's always my go-to.
0: Right. Right, and I know you, you told me about that recently with the COVID-19 being around, and I do wanna talk about that because it's interesting how you go back and you rely on it again and again. Um, okay, you had two significant GTFO experiences in your life, and they both really changed your, changed your trage- trajectory. So I would love it if you would share with us um, your first experience and I think that had to do with your, with your marriage and yes. uh, where you went from there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, my uh, first marriage, uh married a uh, college sweetheart and we uh, got pregnant uh, three months before our wedding. We were engaged for a year and a half and pretty much thrown into the fire at age 24, which is,
0: you know, yeah. now seems,
1: to, you know, Twenty-five years ago it wasn't that bad. I uh, had lots of friends, you know, going through the same process. As a parent of, uh, of a twenty-five-year-old, I would say that's way too young.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. I'm almost fifty, and yeah, to me that seems young now too. But yeah. back then, maybe not so much.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were just thrown into the fire. Uh, I was a musician. She was a school schoolteacher. Uh, we did not have great, you know, financial means. But we made things work, and we just put everything we had into getting through the week, getting through the month, paying the bills, making sure the kids were um, taken care of, and we lost sight of, we never learned how to be a couple, never learned how to argue um, and make compromises with solutions in a positive, healthy way. And after 10 years of that, through you know lots of struggles over, over, over the 10 years, she had had enough and uh, found her own way out, and basically kicked me out the house. And my GTFO, get the f <laughs> out, was uh, you're an asshole. You get the <laughs> fuck out. And so I was forced to get out, and I was not ready for it. Uh, there were many times during the marriage where I was, but uh, at this this phase of where we were, I was figured. I know what's going on. I'm in control of the situation. I have a solution. I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to fix it, and things are going to be better. That was my mindset for a good year and a half, and it seems like everything that I tried to control, um, the reaction and the uh, results were complete opposite of, of my intentions, and I lost control. I didn't know how to handle it. Anger came out. I you know, just couldn't, couldn't control a situation, didn't know how to handle it. And then uh, with all this anger, it definitely didn't help my cause to stay married. Uh, right. It just made that whole situation worse. Uh, I know the kids, even as young as they were, create, created great stress on them because they could, you know, they, they hear it. Kids are so brilliant in how they, you know, assess the situ- situations.
0: Sure. They may not
1: know what to do with it, but they know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the stress that the, that they were subjected to. And then even in the, uh, my music world, in my, in my, in my business relations, uh, that's right when Papa Groves Funk was trying to start. I was working on Bourbon Street. I was just a very unhappy person. And uh, generally, I'm an easy-go-lucky, lucky, happy kind of guy is what I present on the outside. But during this high, stressful period, boy, I had a, a fast switch that would flip, and I would just go off and start yelling and screaming at people, you know. Yeah. If something go right, I would just vent it all on people that I would come into contact with in the public or do business with. And it That's just,
0: stress. It was stressful. It was a stressful time.
1: You know? Total stressful time. And so when I was called the asshole, it was all my fault. Then uh, to get out, it just, you know, my world collapsed. You know, try to get in, went into a deep, dark depression, uh, self-pity. Uh, trying to just figure out how did I get myself in this situation. Right. And, you know, started reading the self-help books and going to therapy. And just, I remember the first day I had a therapy, my therapist was like, um, you were in control. You you, uh, you, you, and only you can control uh, your own journey of life. Yep. It's the, it's the only thing that you have. You're on the journey of life and you're the only one that's on that that journey. You're the only one in control of it. Uh, and I I didn't know what that meant and I remember after 10 years later of therapy that was the last thing we talked about how I finally understood what that was
0: right and what
1: that meant but at that time like I had no control I didn't know what it was and and then I tried to figure out okay why am I the asshole what did I do and then when you do the self-reflect it's like yeah okay
0: yeah yeah. These
1: are the things that I did and this is the react this is why I got the reactions I did. You can't control anything but yourself.
0: Nope. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then you realize okay, well I'm only 50% of the problem and then you know my right. first wife she was the other 50% and how it how it all worked together is why, how it did not work together.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So well, learn, you're learning- making me- you're making me think when you're talking about control like a couple of minutes ago like you were you were saying I was trying to control everything and get hold of everything and it's like the more you try to control it the less control we actually have and that's a that's a hard lesson i had it too i understand you know so yeah, i'm glad that that through you know your own self discovery you're like oh yeah i can't control everything it doesn't happen
1: you can't control and then you then you then I'm dealt with the anger and you realize you know what the anger does not only physically to yourself, but to your kids, to your partners, to your business relations, how it just affects and infects your whole entire life. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a lifelong process, how to manage and maintain and release anger in a healthy, positive way. That's, you know, why therapists make so much money.
0: They do, exactly. Exactly. We love therapists. They're yeah.
1: awesome. But, I mean, really, if you think about it, you know, stress and anger are, they're the demise of any relationship, and you have, to fi- you have to find ways through it. And when you're forced to, which is, was my circumstance, um, thank God that, you know, that's what woke me up
0: right? and was able to
1: just start looking inward and figuring out how I got myself in the situation, well, what I could do about it, and what you can't do about it.
0: Right. That's perfect segue into my, my next question is, how did it change you? You, you know, the GTFO moment being told you're an asshole, get out. How did that change you?
1: Uh, I think, yeah. Uh, acceptance. I mean, that's uh-huh. another big word that uh, I've been using a lot lately. Uh, just acceptance. Okay. Yeah, you did that. You, you got to own up to all to it. It's like, okay, but you know, I, I came to realization. I like living life, sharing life with a partner. So, uh, when I met my, uh, Knew, uh, Becky, my wife. Now, when we started dating, I was able to really early on be kind of open and honest to myself about how was I going to present myself. Was I going to cover up and hide and try to present someone else to be attractive and you know spur her on? Or am I was just going to open up and be myself and let right. her know, let her know me. And uh, it, you know, it, it was. It, at first, it was a little weird, dating again and all that, but she was a person that I could talk to, and she was, she's also a great listener and a great processor, and so she made it very easy for me to open up and help me process everything that I was thinking and, and working through.
0: That's wonderful, and she's, by the way, a wonderful lady, she but um, it's nice that you found a match and somebody that would listen and would accept everything about you. That's the best part of it.
1: It is, um, because I definitely realized with my first wife, it's you know, I we never accepted our flaws very well. Right. We expected each other to to meld into our beliefs, and instead of acceptance, and so it's really nice to have a a partner to share life with. And of course, you know, we've been married now; it's uh, ten years. We've been together eighteen years. Uh, So I've been together with Becky much longer than I was my first wife. But I got to tell you, the same issues come up and it's all about how you deal with them, how you get through them, through, through, through the issues, and you know, luckily with all the things I did wrong in my first marriage, uh, I'm doing a lot more things right this time around. Maybe not everything, but uh, just have a lot more um, you know, knowledge and skills and tools to work through problems and issues.
0: Right, 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 right. And, I agree with you. You learn from the first one, and you're able yeah, to so use I mean, your new skills in the second, yeah.
1: Oh. And that never would really would have happened had I not been kicked out the house.
0: <laughs> it's not funny. I'm sorry. It's just the way you say it. it's funny, and it, and now you have a wonderful wife and life. So,
1: well, I would say ten years ago, the way I would say that, it would sound very angry, <laughs> <laughs> but now with acceptance and you know thankfulness, you know it's no, it's it was it's such a great thing that happened to me, yeah, because this all this opportunity to actually enjoy life and live life and be happy in life. It's a much better way to go, and I I like it a lot better.
0: Right. Now you've had it. Now it was delivered to you. The change delivered that to you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Okay, so that was your first big GTFO. That was the first part. Then you had a second GTFO that kind of came across your path. Tell us about that one.
1: You know, it's – Nearly the same story with just different players involved. (laughs) Uh, And when I say players, that's kind of the right word because it was in my professional world with my musicians, friends, who I had a band with, Papa Groves Funk. We were together for 13 years. And you know, basically, it, it wasn't really a formalized business when we started. We didn't have any kind of game plan. There was no business plan. It was five guys showing up on a Monday night to do a jam session. People liked it. We started writing songs. We started playing shows in other venues, going to other cities, other countries, more records. It became a whole business without trying. And so when it got to the point of trying to run a business, I realized I had no help. The other four guys were not interested at all in doing the business part of it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just do it. It needs to get done. I'll just do it. So after a good 10, 11, 12 years, I was pretty fed up doing it, and felt like I was not a musician anymore. I was more like a uh, office manager, band manager, uh, accountant, tax guy, bookkeeper, uh, roadie, uh, but not like a musician who writes songs and performs for a living.
0: Right, and not to mention all the travel you were doing, because I remember you okay. guys were on the fricking road all the time.
1: We all were. The time. I drove the van. I unloaded, you know, unloaded and loaded up the van. It's just like the work had to get done, so I always did it. And they help. I can't say they didn't no help with any of that uh, on on the road. They helped a little bit, but not much. But when it came to running the business, the office, uh, booking the shows, uh, doing the marketing, uh, doing any kind of logistics, uh, designing merchandise, uh, selling merchandise on shows, absolutely zero help. And no interest every time I asked, I would get a no. I'm not interested in that Ugh. so I realized that's the way it's going to be, and so I started calling more and more shots instead of asking their opinions, right. trying to control situations to go i wanted to wanted it to go.
0: okay, that's interesting. We're back to control exactly that's um, interesting uh-huh
1: uh I had problems that needed to be solved. I gave up on asking them for help to solve them. So I took the problems by myself and tried to make the solutions by myself. And then when you make good decisions, there's no thank you from anybody. There's no gratification. Just the, you know, the only thing you have is like, okay, you made a right decision. Let's move on to the next problem, solve it. But when you made a bad decision, which happens, uh, all I would get is flack and complaining and negative feedback from them and that
0: would create a lot of animosity that,
1: that creates would. a lot of mm-hmm. and over you know a good 13 years mm-hmm. they had had enough the guitar player was like this is not fun for me anymore uh i want to quit i want to go do something else i'm like well thank you for telling me uh it's a big shock but uh thank you for you know he came to me just as any professional grown man would do is it was a very wonderful conversation even though he wanted to quit the band right. so i said hang, hang tight with the decision let's talk to the other guys and see what they want to do mm-hmm. and well, let's make a plan for you to, to exit and so when i told the other guys you know he wants to quit all of them all the other three were just like i said i gave him two choices we can either uh, break up or we can you know find a new guy to take his place and uh, go to work and just keep keep plugging on and they are immediately like, I'm not interested in doing that. Uh, I'm ra- I'd rather just call it a night just,
0: I'm Oh done, my God. Did, did you see I, any of this coming? Did you see, could you have no, forecasted no, 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 no. any of this?
1: No. no. So just, just like in my uh, divorce, uh, <laughs> I was shell shocked. Didn't see it coming. Didn't know what the, nothing. Boy. Didn't expect it at all. Um, I was angry. I mean, I went through all the stages of grief and it, it took about six months for me to go through it. And I, at this point in my life, I'm, uh, let's see, this was seven years ago. Now, uh, a lot better awareness of the world around me and who I am. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot better aware of what's going on. So I, I understood what grief was about. And uh, I was angry at first. Uh, I didn't want to ex- uh, in denial. It okay. was denial, anger, uh, then uh, complete depression,
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: And then, uh, then we had a game plan for, for how we – then we decided, okay, everybody's going to stay in for another six months. We're going to do one more round of touring all over the country, and we're going to have a big blowout, and it's going to be over with. So then I had a game plan, you know, right. made a plan for Escape. Everybody was on it. Uh, it was amazing six months because as soon as we announced that we were breaking up, people fans started coming in from all over the country to come see us. And when we would go to their towns and do our last tour – we were selling out again. We were making money hand over fist. It was really good. I mean, it was a good, wow. good way to go out. And then when it got to our last few shows, all the guys like, man, this really was a good time. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm so looking forward to uh, our last show. And I remember after our last show, it was a sellout show at Tipitina. This was one of our, our great, phenomenal night. Fans came in from all over the country. Uh, it was a, just a one of the best gigs i've ever had in my life it was just really incredible i remember going home and uh telling my wife before i went to sleep just like i'm so thankful it's over i never want to do this again uh, i'm ready to move on and it was pure acceptance wow. like i i had given my life to it uh i tried to control it just like i did in my marriage it didn't work it backfired the guys didn't Work well with it, but it wasn't a healthy working relationship, and then you realize it never had been just like my marriage, it never had been a healthy working relationship. So, the fact that they made that decision, uh, I was able to just really put every all every energy that I had of 13 years really wrap it up in a, in a great six months. Uh, we went out on top, we made money, we felt good about what we did, and I was very proud of 13 years of work when, like. Unlike leaving a marriage, my first marriage, uh, there's nothing really to feel good about. I still, you know, feel that my first marriage was one of the greatest failures of my life. <laughs> and I still have regret that I wasn't a good good husband, wasn't a great enough father, like I didn't do the right things. I, no one likes to fail. But uh, you can't learn unless uh, you make some mistakes. So Right. So fail but, forward. Yeah, so at least with Papa Grows Funk, I was able to to end it on a high note, be very thankful for the time. Uh, that I put in, uh, I knew I, everything that I did with Papa Gross Funk was learning the tools of the music business, everything from the production in to the writing of the songs, to the booking of the shows, uh, paying the musicians, bookkeeping taxes. I mean, merchandising. I learned all the tools of the trade and was able to, was going to be able to apply that to whatever else happened in my life afterwards. Right. right. So you, I, I felt like you had to do okay. it. I had to do it. And it, it, uh, it And so they chose for me to get the fuck out. And here I am out of my own finally. And I'm so thankful because I have new re uh, re energized and recommitted to my love of music, um, which goes back, you know, each time after my divorce, after uh, Papa Girls Funk ended, I went back and I just, what? Why do I like music? What is it about it? And I would go back to. I always go back to start with I, Abbey Road. You are
0: going to say Abbey Road. I knew we we're coming back to Abbey Road. Yeah, I could I always feel go.
1: It. I always go. I said this is one of the, the best memories I have as a child. Is my love for this music and what do I love about? Why do I love it? Why do I want to listen to it? And it's everything from just just the first you know listen, and as a casual listener, this makes me happy. This affects me. Here comes the sun. Just the, the positive uh, message that comes out of, out of that
0: song. Beautiful song.
1: Uh, yeah. The whole, you know, um, even uh, the, the last lyrics, you know, Love We Take is the Love That You Make, you know, uh, just all, all the messages. And then, you know, then I can break down the songs. Why, you know, I'm a studied musician, so I, I'm all about why, why the chord changes work. Why do the rhythmic things change? Uh, change parts of so these, these songs work. I could just break it down, like how how it all works, and how it affects people. And we're like, oh, I'm just going to start playing music and write music again because <laughs> that's what I love to do. And
0: what was your break you- like between ending uh, Papa Gross Funk to going out on your own when you're going through the self discovery period again?
1: I didn't play any music for three months uh, after Papa Gross Funk. Right. Wow! Uh, within six months, my wife and I took f- three full vacations and two half vacations.
0: <laughs> you probably needed that break, though. You pr- uh, uh, it
1: was it was incredible. Um, it, it it was so needed. I had so many uh, in the in the music world. People wanted me to dive right back into another project immediately. And I'm like, I like I was burnt out. I just could not do it. I didn't like music because music wasn't music at that point for me. Music was business and work. It was numbers uh it wasn't uh making people happy, right. it wasn't bringing people together, and making them happy it was It wasn't that so i had I had to find that before I could really actually recommit to it, yeah, otherwise I might as well i don't know become an accountant or, or a manager or you know
0: but I love that you gave yourself that time because a lot of people don't a lot of people you know try to force themselves right back in, right, but it sounds like. Personally and creatively, it was better for you to take that time for yourself. And I think that's a great message for other people to hear. I really do. Because there are those of us like myself who want to dive right back into things instead of giving yourself some space. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that space really served you for what you're doing now
1: it's exactly what I needed to do. And so, you know, started with Abbey road. I went into Fats, went back to listen to fats domino. I love that music. I went back to listen to the journey, ZZ top, led Zeppelin. Yes. Uh, miles Davis, Every, everything that, you know, d- informed me of who I am as a musician, but also as a person, Randy Newman, I'm not going to dr. John. I can just go through all, all the stuff that I listen to. Right. Um, these are the important records that make me the musician, musician that I am. And so, um, by finding that out and rediscovering myself, you just start and I just start over and I just I had the tools, uh, I knew what to do, I knew how to practice, I knew how to write songs, I knew how to put a band together, I knew how to book a gig. So I just you take one thing at a time and you just start all over. Right. And I think I was uh, what forty five at that time, forty six, and it is hard. Um, the music business is such a young man's game. I heard it my whole life, and when you're not a young man. Uh, you start to realize it
0: when you are not twenty six anymore. It's quite different. It's quite quite different.
1: No. It's also a lot harder to drive an a van across the country through <laughs> the long hours that it takes. I mean, it's physically you know rougher, t- harder on the body. So, do I really want to do it? And the answer became yes. I, I mean, I love what I did.
0: Right. You got you got back to the source. You got mm-hmm. back to the heart of things. Right. Well, tell us this: What have you been able to accomplish? since then and i know it's a lot because i see you all over the place
1: uh i've been able to write and record two records this is in the last six years um uh the first record uh, that i put out after Papa goes funk and it was in 2016 i spent 2015 mostly writing and recording it that one's called rivers on fire and it was pretty much a collection uh, the goal with that was not to have any kind of goal just start writing songs. It was the, my, the therapy process.
0: Right, sure.
1: I as long as I liked the song, it didn't matter what it sounded like. So on this record, it's mostly like uh, New Orleans RB funkish with a, maybe an Americana slant to it, but I'm playing some, a lot more piano than organ. There's some folky kind of uh, ballady kind of songs on it, which I was never able to do with Papa Gross Funk because that was a straight-up funk band. Uh, So it it just showed a lot more depth of who I am as a musician and a lot more versatility. And so that, and that gave me the opportunity to put a band together, Mm -hmm. start traveling and touring and establish myself as a solo artist. And that's what I've been doing the last uh, four or five years. And then just all of 2019, I spent writing and recording um, my new record, Central City. And we, had that scheduled to go out uh, last month to release it, and I had a great plan. I took my time with it, had all the ducks in a row. Uh,
0: and how many Pulse gigs well. do you have lined up for the summer? Uh, uh, between March,
1: April, and May alone was at least about forty-five to fifty gigs. It was three tours as a with the band. Uh, it was a two-week tour of Japan with another group. And then uh, at least thirty dates uh, in and around uh, Jazz Fest and French Quarter Fest. Of
0: course. And being
1: able to being able to play, you know, we had I had featured slots at uh, Festival International in Lafayette, French Quarter Festival, and the New Orleans Jazz Festival, which are the three biggest ones in uh, Louisiana, all within a two week period. Uh, I just had it all set and ready to roll, and then the whole coronavirus hit and kind of dropped the ball from all the plans. So there we go. I had a whole situation that was totally in control, not in control. <laughs> Lost total control. Part. Yeah. So, yeah. So then uh, then it was a decision. Do you? Uh, I've spent a year to year and a half working at a release, uh, which it usually takes a good nine months to a year really to do it properly. And for the first time out of this is the ninth record uh, that I've, produced and worked on uh this is the one i had all everything set up for success it was ready to roll and uh what do you do I was like I either going to release it on schedule or i'm going to wait till the world gets back in a better place which who knows how long that's going to be i don't know especially, especially for you know musicians able to tour right it might take another year year and a half before people are very comfortable going out to venues and clubs and right Festival, outdoor festivals are even possible. So I do know one thing, that uh, it's a happy sounding record. It's a, a record that uh, reminds me of the sounds that I heard when I was a kid uh, from my parents and grandparents, the sounds of New Orleans, uh, and that during the darkest of times that we're having right now, it's what people need. It's something right. to make them feel good. So it was kind of an easy decision to say, let's stay on schedule with the um, the release. So, We released it about a month ago, uh, April – Uh, 17th, I believe was, uh, is our, yeah, the 17th was our release date and people have been liking it. I'm getting nothing but great feedback and, you know, it feels good that the music is finally out there and people can hear it and it can, can become part of their lives and make them feel good when they need to feel good.
0: Right. Exactly. And when you're able to get back out there, you know, it, you'll be able to, you know, continue to, to launch it and get it in front of people. Which kind of leads me to my next question. is As a musician, how has the coronavirus pandemic affected you? We know that it's canceled your shows, damn it, right? I mean, right. that's your livelihood. So now is, is John Crow, what do that? you do? How do you cope with what we're doing right now and deal with this, knowing that your whole schedule has been wiped off the map for right now?
1: Well, it's not just me; it's it's the whole industry. Yeah, and it's not just the New Orleans industry, and it's not a U. It's it's a worldwide entertainment industry is crippled, just crippled. Um, so I don't, I don't, you don't know how long it's gonna last. It's gonna last. Um, I don't think venues can survive at working at twenty five percent capacity for very long. No, I don't think so either. Fifty percent, maybe a few more can. So, um, what can I? What, what can I do during all this? It's. Um, there's got to be opportunity in there somewhere. Uh, live streaming, is 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 like the first thing that most musicians have been doing, and I jumped on that bag, bandwagon about a m- month into it, kind of late from a lot of other guys. But I just kind of see, it's another avenue to develop a fan base, stay yep. in touch with the fan base that you already have in a new way. Right. Um, right. Much like like podcasts are where authors and you know people like yourself can get out there and, and give their message right uh, and teach and educate. It's the same with you know live streaming live performance in, in that way is just another way that I can deliver what I do to people who want to hear it
0: and, right. and so, I know they appreciate it and they need to hear your music right now. They, they do people need they to hear need it that now. escape
1: everybody you always need to the escape there's always uh, something to celebrate uh, all that stuff has to happen and so uh, i'm starting to find ways that i fit in with the live streaming and trying to you know step up learn about it for one that's
0: <laughs> yeah it's that's uh, the other thing we're learning about it i mean i'm a child of the 80s we had atari this whole live streaming thing now is like way off the map like its whats it is com- what is it it is
1: complex yeah uh, I don't think a month ago I would have known how to hook up my studio mic to do a podcast like we're doing right now. But because I've been working on live streaming, I have it all set up ready to go. I was kind of impressed that uh, that I you was were able ready. I had yeah. a feeling
0: I'm like he's going to know exactly what to do. This is going to be perfect.
1: <laughs> but luckily, through the gift of time, when I was trying to learn how to do a, a, a live stream, it took me five days to learn how to do this. Where in in a, in a, a non COVID world, when I would be driving across the country or preparing for a record release or a festival performance, I wouldn't have had that time. Right. So, I mean, the thing about my world is like the gift of time. Uh, you know, you're a mom, uh, I'm a dad, you know, we have – life moves fast. Yeah. The, the amount of time that's out there to do things for yourself, are so it's so short. Uh, and it's a true gift is what we have right now. And so trying to take advantage of that and think – what do I need in the short term? Short term. Short term. Right. Yeah. What do I need in the short term? Uh, just to get through it. I really don't want to spend too much energy on that right now, because my world, my industry, what I do, is about bringing people together, and I'm trying to be ready for that step when that when that green light hits. I want to be ready for that. So I'm thinking more long term and intermediate term. Thinking, okay these are the bigger picture plans and I rarely get this amount of time to work on the, that kind of stuff.
0: Right. You do. That's such a healthy perspective. And you're right. And I love what you're saying about you want to bring people together.
1: Well, that's my job. Musician's job, job yeah. is to bring people together. That's the it. number one function of what we do. Right. And right. it's crazy. We can't do our job.
0: I know. I know. And that, that feels like probably against everything that you know. You know, it really is. It, it, it what's at your core. You're like, wait a second, I can't do this for what, for how long? Yeah, it'd be awkward. Um, tell me this, since we've gone through your personal experience and, um, uh, things with control and marriage and the band and even COVID now, what advice do you have for others who could be facing their GTFO moment?
1: I think. Things that I learned post my GTFO moment uh, that I use now, which have been so helpful, is take the time out, step back, and take the three long, deep breaths. Just to collect yourself, it takes about, you know, maybe a minute. Yeah. Uh, that That one minute can provide so much clarity so that before you say the wrong thing, before you speak, you just give yourself the opportunity to just take a deep breath, take another deep breath, take another deep breath. Is it the right thing to do? And if it's not, you don't do it and you look for the next thing. Right. Um uh, just just be able to, you know, that my biggest issue in, in my worst moments are the spontaneous reactions that I had that had so much negative effect and just be able to stop myself from putting my foot in my mouth (laughs) (laughs) and being that asshole. (laughs) I mean, the asshole is always with me. I have I had that potential at all times.
0: (laughs) The asshole is always in your back pocket, just ready. And he
1: he really (laughs) wants to jump out and he really wants his two cents in there. And you know, maybe that's not the right guy to be representing who you want to represent yourself as. Right. Right. And so, like just being able to take three breaths and then understand you're gonna kind of fail. Failure is part of how you learn. And uh the leap of faith, um, or when they, they kick you out on your ass, like happened to me twice. There's a reason.
0: There's a reason. There's a
1: reason, and it it always um reveals itself later. You don't necessarily see it when you're going through it. Uh I remember, especially after my divorce, uh friends who had been through it because yeah, dude, it sucks. Uh, you're gonna be in in it for at least three years before you can actually feel like yourself again. Uh, it's gonna take five years before even the anger even kind of goes away. Oh gosh! And, and then I'm like, "Are you serious?" I, I mean, I feel better you know after after three, four, five months. You know, I, I was like, "Oh, I'm out drinking, I'm hanging out, you know, I'm having a good time." Like, no, you don't. Ha- you don't have a clue what's going on. You know. And you know some of my friends who gave me that advice. I heard it uh, many times, not not always from the same person like three years is really what it took for me to process uh my trajectory right how 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 I um contributed to it, accepting it, and how I wanted to real live my life afterwards right and I would say almost the same thing with Papa Gross Funk maybe a little bit quicker with that um because it didn't end so detrimental for me. Right. Uh, it started bad, but it didn't end in, in, in the same devastation I did after my divorce.
0: So, well, I like your messaging because the, the message here is give yourself some space. Space? Give you some re- time. Re- Whether you you're, re- you're making the decision to GTFO or somebody else has done it for you, just um, give yourself some quiet time.
1: I'll go back to and that. That at that point is when I understood what my therapist said. You, I am responsible for my own journey in life.
0: Right, exactly.
1: It's my journey. Um, you know, and, and the goal for me is to be able, be able to share that with somebody in a healthy, positive way. And the tools that you need are, um, you know, you don't grow up with them, unfortunately. Right. At least I didn't.
0: I didn't. Uh, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So,
1: you know, and so as a dad, you know, I see my kids are the same age. I was when I started off with a family and marriage and going through the struggles and you know uh, they could do they have the tools like no I've yeah. tried to teach them what I can uh but they are grown adults now right and they're going to and they also need to make mistakes you need to make mistakes to move on with life
0: right and I agree with trick, you you have the to The trick is that.
1: it's the best way to learn uh I can read you my Michael Jordan quote. I think I mentioned that to you. You Yes,
0: I uh, love the quote. Please share it.
1: uh, Where is it? I got it right here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love this. Um, It's kind of my mantra because it takes me so long to get something right. Uh, And when I read this, it just just made sense. Uh, So here it goes. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's why I succeed. Michael Jordan said that. One of the greatest athletes of any sport of any generation.
0: Right. And he's acknowledging all of the failures. We all have them. Yes. It's normal. It's natural. And he accepts them. He's like, you know what? And look where he is today. Look where you are today.
1: Well, exactly. You know, and... The failure is part of change, and you know yeah. GtFO is all about the change, the transformation of of getting a second chance, doing something different uh,
0: exactly, which is why it's important to embrace it. It feels like shit at the time, but if you embrace it, you'll go down the right path.
1: I have a few regrets um, from the mistakes I've made in my path past, but uh, I am so thankful for the journey that that I've been on even through all the hardships because basically I'm pretty happy in life right now. I'm you know, not necessarily financially together or have a great future in that way, but I, I am in, here's the, here's, the, here's the bad word. I'm in control of my life because my life revolves around happiness.
0: That's, that's beautifully said. And a lot of people near, need to hear that too because you're basing it on your happiness.
1: Yes. Fulfilled. It, yes. fulfilled. Yes. Fulfilled. Yes. Yes. And I just kind of trust if I I follow that, uh, good things will happen.
0: Good. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. A lot of people need to hear that right now. Mm -hmm. So I know it will inspire them. Um, Okay, John, how can people get in touch with you, find your website or book you or just listen to your live stream?
1: Yeah, Uh, I have a website. It's johnpapagrow.com. My last name is spelled G-R-O-S with a silent S, although it's pronounced like G-R-O-W. So it's uh, johnpapagrow, J-O-H-N-P-A-P-A-G-R-O-S.com. I'm on all the social media. Uh, That's Facebook, johnpapagrow, Instagram, johnpapagrow, Twitter, johnpapagrow, YouTube channel. You can see some cool videos that we have from the last record and the new record. Um, uh, my music's on Spotify, iTunes,
0: uh, yeah. I'm All around. the places it needs to be. I am around. Are you still doing bat mitzvah parties? I'm just
1: joking. I'm sorry. Dude, <laughs> I will a play the gig anywhere, <laughs> anyhow, right now.
0: Oh, that was a joke. That was a joke. Well, I, for one, am incredibly proud of everything that you've done. And I'm so thankful that you shared your heart- heartfelt stories with us because a lot of people need to hear it and they will be inspired because of you and because of where you're going. So I'm so glad that you shared your GTFO with us, John. I really, I'm well, really appreciative.
1: I am just so proud of you for taking all your uh, trials and tribulations and wrapping it up in a nice package and helping people out there well, get on with you. their lives. Thank Cause uh, we need that. I, you know, it, it, it's tough going through the change and, you know, without my therapist and a few of the self-help books that I read, I don't think I would have come out as well. And, you know, had I had somebody like you there might've been a little easier.
0: Well, you are leading by example for sure. And I know everybody loves your music and I hope people that are listening right now are able to download his music and um, enjoy it as well. Cause I know John wants to share it with you. Absolutely. All righty, sir. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you guys for listening. Again, you can reach John where he mentioned earlier, and we will talk to you again soon about GTFO. Thank you for joining me today on the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. To connect with me for confidence coaching or speaking engagements, please connect with me at hollykaplan.com or find me on Instagram at gtfo underscore podcast. Thanks.